Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, uh, Westbridge Church. It is so good to see your faces the day after Christmas. Hope that y'all had merry uh, Christmases. For, for those of you who don't know, my name is Kyle Fox. I serve as the student pastor here. Um, my wife said that if I came up here with only one shoe on, then I needed to at least acknowledge that I had one shoe on. This is not a new fashion trend that I'm trying to start, uh, but long story short, I put an ax in my foot. So we just don't have time for that this morning, um, but that's what happened. Um, I, I also want you to know here at the onset that, that I'm aware that we've got uh, kids. Well, we don't have, if you came in this morning expecting nursery and kids classes, sorry. Um, but we, we obviously don't have that this morning. And so I know that there's going to be some extra squirming. And I know there's going to be some whispering that, that's really full-blown conversation. Uh, and so parents just want to give you the freedom to breathe. I, I've got two young ones, and, and they never make it through a service without making themselves known. Um, so, with that being said, uh, go ahead and, and turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter, that, that was actually kind of fun for me. There were multiple people who were like, oh, we're, do, we're doing Revelation this morning. Okay. Uh, Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to pray for us, and then, and then we will uh, get started together. God, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you are a strong God, that you are a kind God. Lord, we, we ask that our hearts would be encouraged this morning. Would you help us know your word, that it might strengthen us and give us hope, joy, and love, and peace that we need for our lives. We pray this on Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Well, by, by way of reminder, for those of you who have been with us for the last few weeks, or if you're just joining us for this first Sunday, uh, wh- what we've been doing over the course of the last four weeks is, is talking about the reality that in Jesus' first coming, the kingdom has come from heaven to earth. And so we've been talking about these one-word identifiers of what this kingdom is like, what this kingdom's all about. And so we've talked about the reality of love, joy, peace. And, and as I was reflecting on that this past week, I, I found myself thinking that, um, like, the, these are things that we want. Like, regardless of how you've come in this morning, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, like, who, who of us is going to choose a, a life of, of hate and loneliness as opposed to love? Who, who of us man, just really would prefer conflict and strife at our Christmas dinners as opposed to peace? Like, who of us hears the offer of real and lasting joy that sustains in whatever circumstance and goes, what, I, I would just, I'd rather not? Like, what we've been talking about in these weeks are our deepest desires, our deepest longings, but where they find their fulfillment, namely in the person and the work of Jesus. And so today, 
we're going to be talking about hope. Uh, a word uh, that, that we use often, so often, uh, that, that I don't actually know if we always understand what it means. So, so this is just a normal, everyday use of the word. We hope, in light of last night's victory, that the Colts are going to make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see. Uh, we hope, kids, maybe your hopes were dashed yesterday morning when the gift that you really wanted wasn't actually under the tree. Students, you hope that after you graduate, you're going to get that dream job. We, we hope that our Christmas dinner today isn't quite as awkward as last year's was. And so we use the word hope regularly. And from the smallest concerns to our, our largest desires, our lives are shaped, they are directed, they are motivated by hope. And every single one of us in this room, we, we hang our hope on someone or something. And we have this desire to have that what we hope for is actually solid. It's secure. It's stable. But the reality in each of those situations that I just mentioned is that you could actually replace the word hope with the word wish. I, I, I wish that this family Christmas dinner wasn't as awkward as it is. I, I'm wishing that the Colts are going to make it to the Super Bowl. And, and so um, with that... Oftentimes, when we use the word hope, what we're actually expressing is uncertainty. We're expressing uncertainty in whatever it is we're hoping in. But friends, this is not biblical hope. See, biblical hope, I think, is honestly best defined for us by Scripture in Romans chapter 4, when Paul is speaking of Abraham in verse 21, and he says this, that Abraham was fully convinced that God would do what he had promised. That's hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God will do what he's going to, what he has promised. Christian hope, it's not a gamble. It is not wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation that God will do what he has promised. And so, throughout Scripture, we, we really find uh, this word used in kind of two different categories, if you will. We, we see hope talked about as a, as a present-day reality that we experience. And so we could have talked about, for the rest of our time today, about, as First Peter says, living hope that has profound implications for our day-to-day lives. But, but as I was thinking and praying about what we would talk about this morning, we, we also find in Scripture that hope is a future hope. And, and so um, this hope, I think, is even more difficult for us because it's future-oriented. And in our day and age, we live in a time where everything around us is saturated by this Instant gratification. So, I mean, if, if the two-day shipping on Amazon's delayed, 
I, was it even worth it? Like, I, I don't know. Um, there was a time where I, like, in order to watch a movie, I had to ask, and I'm not that old, uh, just as a clarification, I had to ask mom and dad um, to go down to the old family video store by Kroger. Um, we had to get in our cars, go get the DVD, check out, bring the DVD back, put it into the DVD player, only to watch it and then have to return it again. I mean, there's, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, like, if, if, the, if the movie takes longer than 30 seconds to load, I don't know if it's worth watching. We live in a day, an age, that's saturated with instant gratification. And because of that, what we're talking about this morning is hard for us. But the reason that I want to uh, look ahead and, and fix our eyes on what's to come is because I, I can make no guarantees about what 2022 holds for you. I, I know that for, for some of you, uh, 2021 was, was the most difficult year of your life. Uh, you weren't hoping that your marriage would be in as rough of a spot as it actually is. You, you weren't hoping to be single for another year. And if, if you're really honest, you just weren't hoping to be where you actually are. And so what I want us to do in light of that is fix our eyes towards something that we can bank on, something that we can have a confident expectation in. See, we've been celebrating uh, Jesus' first advent, his first coming over these last few weeks, but, and, and when he's come to us as a baby, but I want us to look ahead to his return towards his second coming as reigning and ruling king. And so we're going to be asking the question today, what awaits us? What awaits us? In other words, what do we have to look forward to in the second coming of Jesus? What do we have to hope for? And I want to be, I want to be clear that the word us, it's intentional. Because uh, what we speak of, what I speak of this morning, is not simply what awaits everyone. It's what awaits those of us who are trusting in Jesus. And, and that's, a, that's a really important distinction for you to know because I, I really think there are two categories of people in this room. Uh, the, the first, th there may be more, but there's at least two. Uh, the first is that you, you've come in this morning and the reason that you're here, when you boil it down, it's because this is what, what you think makes you and God cool. Like, this is what makes you and God okay, that somehow you being at church and, you know, 2022, you got to jump on it. You might, you might have missed a couple Sundays this past year, but 2022 is going to be your year. Uh, and yet... You think that you being here, that trying harder, being a better version of you, that that's what makes you right with God. And, and what Scripture is going to tell us is that even on our best days, apart from Jesus, that the good things that we do are as filthy rags to God. But the good news 
is that the offer of forgiveness, the offer of grace, the offer of hope is available for all who would trust and believe in this Jesus. But then for the rest of us, especially for those of us who are following Jesus, um, it's easy to walk into this room, and again, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we look around at each other and we just think that everybody else has it figured out. That I'm the only one who's still struggling like I am, who's still wrestling. Everybody else has it figured out. And and I think we feel that because, again, if we're actually honest with ourselves, we know that we still have so far to go. And, And we begin to wonder, like, at what point does God go, I I knew you would be difficult. I didn't know you'd be this difficult. I'll take the laughter as like, yeah, that's true. Um, That's what we honestly think. And and I'm with you. Like like if I I just replay my thoughts and actions for the last week, you'd see impatience and you would see anger. And 10 years into this following Jesus thing, I just thought I'd be a little bit further along. And so that can begin to discourage us. And what both of these groups of people need is gospel hope. And so that's really my big goal this morning. Uh, we, we could talk about countless applications and practical things, but, but really, at the end of the day, my goal for you this morning is that you might walk out of here encouraged, that you might have more joy in following Jesus, more encouragement, so that when you're tempted to place your hope in other things this year, you might remember what we talked about this morning. And this really gets to the heart of why Revelation was written. See, it, it, Revelation was not written in order to inspire a Left Behind series or, uh, or, or to just be really confusing to us. Uh, which, side note, I think part of the reason that Revelation is confusing to us is because we, we don't know our Old Testaments quite as well as we ought to. There are over 500 references, quotations, allusions from the Old Testament in Revelation, in that 22-chapter book. But this book was written to a real group of Christians. It was written to a group of Christians who they had begun to grow weary. They were growing tired from the difficulties of life because what started out as a flame of hope had begun to be just a flicker. And so, uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21 if you're not there. It'll also be on the screen, and we're just going to read the first six verses as we answer the question, what awaits us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, Quick pause for for you beach lovers, okay? Okay. this, John is not saying that there will literally not be any physical bodies of water in the new creation. See, the sea in, in the Old Testament, what they would have known the sea to stand for is this symbol of chaos, 
of destruction. And so his audience would have known that well. And so the easiest example is the flood that we find in Genesis chapter 6. What John is saying is that in the new creation, there is nothing that is chaotic. There is nothing that is destructive at all. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So we'll keep it simple this morning with, with the answer to the question, what awaits us? It's this, the perfect God with his perfect people in the perfect place. Oftentimes, I think that we think of heaven as this kind of ethereal place where we're all playing trumpets and uh, harps, and we're just bopping around on different clouds, um, and that's what we're doing in heaven. And I, honestly, I can remember shortly after God saved me going into my senior year of high school um, that, that I kind of just thought in heaven we would just be singing the whole time. And like, I, I'm in, hear me, but but I'm not that great of a singer, and, and forever is a very long time. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we can think about this new creation, but that's not what the Bible teaches at all about it. See, it's a very physical place that's described in terms of brilliance and, and wonder and beauty, and, and I think we get a glimpse into this even in uh, Jesus, after he's raised from the dead, he's walking around, and what's he doing with his disciples on a beach? He's eating with them. And, and so, um, like, whatever your favorite food is, you might really enjoy that here. It's going to be better there. The best steak that you've ever had here doesn't even compare to what it's going to be like there. The best drink that you've tasted here doesn't even compare to what it's going to be like there. And so a few weeks ago, Abby and I, we, we came home from dinner with friends and just a lot of laughter and, and just so fun. I mean, we just got to eat and we got to drink, uh, and it was awesome. And, and we just thought that it's just a taste. It is just a taste of what's to come. But all of those things don't compare to the very best, that we will be in perfect relationship and fellowship with God himself. And so th this is the most important thing for you to know about what awaits you in the new heavens and the new earth, that the whole point of it is God. What makes heaven 
heaven and so glorious is that God's dwelling place will finally be there in fullness with his people. We will be in his perfect presence. Everything that we talked about in verse 4, no tears, no crying, all of that will be gone. Why? Because God is there in his perfect holiness. See, the God who came to earth, we, we will know then in full what now we only know in part. And if you were here at our Christmas Eve service, uh, Tyson talked about uh, Isaiah 9 and this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father. We could talk about each of these phrases, but, but the everlasting Father was one that just struck me. That, that's not a Trinitarian statement. It is the reality that Jesus himself takes fatherly responsibility for you, that you will know and you will feel what it is to be fully in the family. Like, y'all, this is is stunning. Because um, our view of God is often impacted by our view of our dads, our earthly dads. And and we've got some awesome dads in the room. I have an awesome dad. But even still, your earthly dad is so unlike God, that it's bonkers. You've got this heavenly Father who never wavers in his love for you. He's never bothered by you. He's not annoyed by asking one more time. You've never been a burden to him. And when your life is over and you're finally with him, you will experience a joy, a peace, and a love that is unlike anything we've ever known. And right now, like, what what does the Bible say that our relationship with God is like? It's by faith, right? Like, at the end of the day, Christians are people who believe in something that we cannot see. And hear me, I think we've got some good reasons for what we believe, but at the end of the day, our relationship with God right now is by faith. But did you catch what verse 3 said? That God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Like, think about that. There's no more faith in heaven. Because you'll just see him. There is no more, I believe, help my unbelief, I I want to believe, I'm struggling to believe. There's no more of that because he's there. And what makes this new creation so thrilling is that the fellowship that we experience with the triune God, that the presence of God is truly in its fullness on that day. So what awaits us? A perfect God with his perfect people. See, God's always been perfect. But what's what's incredible is that we, as his people, will also, with our resurrected and redeemed bodies, we will be with him. 
that the holiness that we fall short of here as believers will no longer be present. There will be no impulse to sin. There will be no impure thought that crosses your mind. No one will ever betray you. No one will ever hurt you. And and we've got these resurrected bodies. There's no more soreness from from a weird night of sleep. There's, There's no disease. There's no cancer. There's no miscarriage. There's no chronic illness. There's none of it. All the effects that we experienced from the fall when sin entered the world will be gone. And and this is a little bit, I just wanted to uh, distinguish here, a little bit more speculative. Sometimes people will ask, like, will will we recognize one another in heaven? Will we know each other? And I, I just think there's great biblical evidence for absolutely that we will be in perfect relationship, not just with God himself, but with each other. And friends, if we would give ourselves to thinking and meditating on this reality, that we will be with God, but we will be with each other, that's just going to fuel you to have a greater anticipation, a greater longing that that day is actually coming. We can confidently, expectantly hope that we will receive the fullness of what it means to be a new creation. So we have a perfect people with the perfect God, but we have a perfect place. There's a new heaven and a new earth. See, if we had time, we could talk about all the different ways that the prophets especially speak of this redeemed and transformed new creation. But, but let's just do a couple. Isaiah 35, verse 1 through 2, it says this. The desert in the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus. If you don't know what that is, I did not. Um, that's just a purple flower. It's pretty. You can Google it. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to visit, visit a desert. Uh, my, my parents live out in uh, the Phoenix area, and, and I'm always shocked when we go at just how dead the desert is. Like, it's just sand and rock. There might be a couple of cactuses. That's it, though. Like, it's just dead. But what Isaiah says is there's a day coming when God is finished that the deserts are going to smell and bloom like sweet flowers. Isaiah 6, 11 through 8 says this, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion uh, and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child put its hand into the viper's nest. Okay, so these, these animal categories, they dwell together now, right? But, but it's when a leopard has a goat in its mouth, okay? I, never have I thought, you know what would be a really good idea? We need to find a cobra's den, and let's let Mason play. Let's just see how that goes. That, I hate snakes, 
We're not doing that in the Fox family. But there is a day coming when Isaiah is using this poetic language to talk about what life is going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth where there used to be violence and death and destruction. There's now peace. There's abundance. There's life. And so you have the perfect God with his perfect people in the perfect place. And, and as we finish our time, I, I, I want Look right at me. We as Christians are not gambling. We are not doing wishful thinking. Just wishing this thing turns out. That day is coming. And we can expectantly, confidently hope that the God who has kept all of his promises, he will keep this one. And and I'm not saying that life isn't difficult now. However, we will spend eternity marveling together at how kind the reigning king has been to us. As a believer in Jesus, after you have died and you've been raised to newness of life, if we have an opportunity to look back on our lives, we will say he did everything perfectly. Every single thing. The most difficult trial. The most horrific tragedy. That is what Romans 8.28 means when it says that God works everything together for the good of those who love him. We'll look back and we'll just say, he nailed it. I I don't know if you'll say that. That's what I'm going to say. That's going to be the start of something that never ends. And that is why we can truly say that the best is yet to come. Even if the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years are marked by difficulty and suffering. And Jesus himself promised that life would be difficult. But even so, this is as bad as it will ever be. And this truth is what keeps us going, that soon we will be with him. And I think that this answers a question that can sometimes haunt us. Is following Jesus really worth it? Like, is, is a life of faith, life of getting made fun of, a life of, you might lose your job, a life of difficulty, is it really worth it to follow him? And the answer is yes. And so, may our King and Savior renew our lives in such a way with with hope that we are marked by it so that we can truly say, as the psalmist says, to ourselves and to those around us, hope in God. Let's pray. God, may our hope be found in you. We're thankful that we have a hope that will not put us to shame, that will not disappoint, 
Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us and encourage us for the rest of our days. And we look forward to the day where we are with you. In Jesus' beautiful name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.